evening, Shavua Tov. I'm very happy to be here with you in, in this beautiful Shabbaton we had here. And uh, this is a lecture after Milava Malka. I was asked to speak about uh, Zugiyut, relationship. The word Zugiyut is not necessarily between husband and wife, a man to a woman. Zugiyut, it's something in life. You have a partner, you have a neighbor. There's a lot of uh, teamwork in the world. A person that has good success in his Zugiyut, in general, meaning with his wife, with his partner, he will have good relationship with every human being. A person that is problematic will have a lot of problems with many, many people. It depends on one thing. The Gaon Vilna asked, what is the purpose of life? 250 years ago, one of the biggest chachamim in history, Gaon Vilna. And he answered in one sentence, Tikkun Amidot if a person fixes personality traits, that's a very big success in his life. The whole purpose of Hashem giving us the Torah and putting us in Mount Sinai in unity and scaring us to such an event and giving us the Torah and watching us every day and giving us all these strict rules was all for one purpose that we will fix all the negative traits and clean it out of our system. Sometimes you will find a person that learned all his life Torah, pass from the world with a rotten personality. He was born jealous, he died jealous. He was born angry, he died angry. He was born selfish, he died selfish. Just because he knows all the shahs, and all the poskin, and even he can tell you Musar talks, doesn't make him a better human being. Someone like me that travel all over the world, I meet all kinds of people. Sometimes a person from the outside looks extremely holy, but is extremely rotten from inside. Sometimes it's the other way around. Person look on the modern side, nothing special. And when you get to know them, you find out that they have the most correct, beautiful midot. Nice, the Shem Shamayim, sharing, no anger, respectful people, you know, so that's fantastic. What do you see? Some people made it, some people didn't. Now you may ask, how can it be? According to the Torah, someone that learns Torah, the Torah itself has to fix him. Maor Sheba. Hashem said to the nation of Israel, if you have to choose between me and my Torah who to leave, leave me, but don't leave my Torah. How can it be? How can you leave Hashem? That's it, I have nothing to do with Hashem, but I will continue to come to learning every day. Doesn't end up. Usually when you leave the religion, first thing you leave is the Torah. That's the way it is. You leave the Torah, then you leave Hashem. So Hashem tricked us. He said, listen, you want to leave me? Fine. But just promise me one thing. Don't leave my Torah. Why? Because if you continue to learn, the Torah will always bounce you back to the right track. Ma'or Shabbat, the light of the Torah. You know, there's one person in England 
רוזנצוויג, his name. חסיד. וחסידים, they have a nice מנהג, every ראש השנה, they arrive before to Israel, to King David Hotel. Very nice fancy hotel in Jerusalem. They stay there for the whole עשרת ימי תשובה. From before ראש השנה, until after יום כיפור. About 12 days. And they bring one of the best, most famous Ashkenazi cantors, Chazanim, to come for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Every year they have this minhag. This Rosenzweig from London to Tel Aviv is a few hours. He's on a flight. Next to him sits a secular Jew with a number on his arm, a Holocaust survivor. His name is Maurice Schechter. That's it, Maurice Schechter, secular man. Rosenzweig put Phil in on a flight. He asked this Maurice Schechter, after they had a conversation, he realized he's a Jew. He asked him, would you like to put Phil in? He said, no, I'm done with him. I am done with him. Don't talk to me about religion. You know, Rosenzweig tried in a nice way. Why? Why are you saying like this? There's no such thing that a Jew is done with Hashem. Cannot be. No, 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 I mean it. I don't want to hear anything about religion. Why? May I ask why you're so angry? And he said, I tell you why. When I was before the Holocaust, I had one son. Chaim. That was my whole world. One son. Didn't get to have more kids. I had one son. One day the Nazis came and grabbed him from my house and I never ever saw him again. You want me to have anything to do with him after such a thing? Why are you talking to me about feeling now? Leave me alone. Listen, you don't know. It's hard to understand Hashem. There's a lot of mysterious things, you know, that eventually we'll understand why. Of course, you cannot talk to someone that talks from his emotions. The brain doesn't, you know, the brain freeze when the emotion wakes up. That's usually how it works. So what happened? He think, you know, maybe it's better to leave him alone because he's starting to get angry. When they arrive to Ben-Gurion Airport, he's going to get his suitcase and just realize, wow, I never took the telephone number of this Maurice Schechter. Maybe when I go to London, I'll invite him. Or I'll continue my work with him. He's looking around, where is Maurice Schechter? He disappeared. He went to King David Hotel. He stayed there for the whole 10 days. Now it's Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, the Ashkenazim, they have a minhag that in the middle of the day, they, they do his score for the souls. They ask all the people that have parents to leave, and only those who their parents pass, they stay for about 10, 15 minutes. They do a special prayer for the neshamot. This Rosenzweig is a young Hasid. His parents are still alive. He realized, you know what, let me take a walk in Yerushalayim for five minutes to refresh. He walks in Yerushalayim one block next to King David Hotel. He cannot believe. He sees Maurice Schechter. He's sitting on a bench with a sandwich, eating a sandwich on Yom Kippur. Maurice, I can't believe I find you here. It's Yom Kippur. You're eating sandwich on Yom Kippur? Why don't you understand? Leave me alone with your religion. I told you. I'm done with him. I eat on Yom Kippur. I eat everything. He gets angry. 
He said to him, Maurice, I can't believe I found you. I'm so happy. Why don't you come into the synagogue now? They're making a special prayer for the son. You told me you lost your son, Chaim. Come do his call for him. Ah, now leave me alone. I said, trust me, it's going to help his soul. Do you want to do something for your son? Now it's your chance. Emotions can switch in a second. From anger to mercy. Yeah, you think I should come in? But look at me, I'm not dressed. It's okay, nobody cares, nobody knows you anyway. Come for five minutes. He takes him in, Rabotai, this is a true story. That's the whole point here. He comes in with his casual clothes. Hundreds of wealthy Ashkenazim over there. They're all looking at him. Imagine the scene. He brings him to the Chazan. He says, Hi, can you make special prayer for his son? Yes, what's the name? He says, Chaim ben Morris. Chaim ben Moshe. My Hebrew name is Moshe. Chaim ben Moshe. The Chazan asked him, Chaim ben Moshe what? <laughs> now you know Chazanim don't ask for the last name. Ploni ben Ploni, that's it. He said, Chaim ben Moshe Mat. He said, Chaim ben Moshe Shechter. The Chazan scream, Abba! I was looking for you for 40 years. Everywhere. I can't believe you made it. You made it from the war. In front of uh, hundreds of Hasidim, hundreds of Ashkenazim there in Yom Kippur. Imagine what a, what a moment. Well, everybody started to cry. It was a very touching moment. And this Maurice Schechter said, I'm so ashamed. Look what Hashem made my son, Rabbi, Chazan, the best voice. Hundreds of people come to hear him. And I go everything in my life against Hashem my whole life while Hashem was doing so much for me. I would never raise such a boy. In one second, his, his entire life switched 180 degrees. That's the life of many people here. You go with the, with the, with the mind that, you know, something that, you know, Hashem owes you something, and in the end, you realize that you're completely in the wrong direction. So, going back to what I started to say, Hashem said, if you want to leave me, fine, but don't leave the Torah. Why? Because if you leave the Torah and stay with me, it's not possible. But if you leave me and you stay with the Torah, the Torah will always bring you back to me. Because every other word that you learn is Hashem, Kalshmaruchu, can run away from me. So sometimes people learn Torah, but not for the Lashem Shammai, not for the sake of heaven. They want kavod, they want a job, they want people to kiss their hand, they want people to stand when they walk, they want to dress in a special way that everybody will understand that they are important people. Believe it or not, there are people like this. They will invest 20 years of their life to kill themselves in learning for the kavod. How do I know it? I have one Talmid Chacham Atzum in Yerushalayim. I heard it in my own ears. I won't tell you the name. But one of the real sharks in the world of Torah. He said, when I was a Ram in Yeshiva, meaning teaching, my salary was so low. And when one of my students invited me to a wedding out of Yerushalayim, like Bnei Brak, you know, far place, I don't know how to drive. I used to take a special taxi, paid my entire monthly salary 
to go back and forth to the wedding for the one minute kavod that people used to give me. Ya'amod, kvod harav, harav agadol, hatzadik, and I go up to the stage and everyone's eyes and, and the cameras. This is how low I was. After knowing so much Torah, the midot was not fixed. Conclusion, not everyone that looks very, very holy is really holy. What makes you holy? The Torah say. Not faces, not long beard and turbans and white kids and all kinds of uh, faces, like some people think, and Kabbalat Kahal and Gabai. None of that is important. What's important is who you are from inside. You were jealous, you got rid of jealousy. You were angry, you control. You were a horrible husband, a few years later your wife said, Shh, you became such an angel. You can go 20 years with your wife without one argument, then you know it's a dick. 20 years without argument. Rav Shlomo Zal in the funeral of his wife, it was not just a big posek and talmid chacham and a holy man. In the when the grave was open and they take down the body down, he said, now it's the custom for the husband to ask from his wife mechila, forgiveness for all the bad things that couples do to each other. But you and I know that I do not have even one reason to ask you for forgiveness. You never hurt me and I never hurt you. Not even once. But I'll do it anyway, because that's the custom. But we don't have to ask forgiveness from each other at all. Why? Once you fix your midot, you don't have one argument with your wife. Nothing. First of all, you have a munah, that everything that Hashem does, it's all easy behind the scenes. So even if your wife did something bad to you, or your husband did something bad to you, in the end, you don't get anything bad unless you deserve it. So if you wouldn't be here, somebody else will give you this problem. If you won't be your husband, you'll get it somewhere else. This is one of the ways in Judaism a person knows kol man David rachmana Everything Hashem does, He does for a reason and always for a good reason. So whatever you deserve to get suffering, you must get it. It's, you can't run away from it. David HaMelech writes in Tehillim, Al tiye kasus kaperet. Do not be a horse and don't be a mule. Mule is a combination of horse and a donkey. When you mix between two animals and you create a new species, the new species cannot continue to give birth. It's very interesting. Donkey, yeah, donkey can give life to donkeys. And a horse can give life to horses. But if you mix between a horse and a donkey, it's something that's called mule. It can give birth. It's barren. It's very interesting. Why? Because you're going against Hashem. Why are you going against Hashem? Why are you mix between two different species? Hashem made different species. How many species of animals you have today in the world? Do you know? How many? If I ask you how many you know, if you give me a hundred names, I'll be shocked. Right? Anyone thinks you know more than a hundred names of animals? There are two million names. Two million different species. So many kinds of monkeys, and so many kinds of this, and so many kinds wow, of... If you look at the list, forget it. Very huge, long list. 
דוד המלך say from all the animals, אל תהיה סוס, don't be a horse and don't be a mute, meaning the same idea. אל תהיה כסוס כפרי. Why, why don't be a horse? Why didn't say don't be a pig? Why didn't say don't be a dog? Why he chose from all the animals a horse? The horse, when you ride on a horse, you sit on a horse, and you ride on a horse, and you have a stick. You know how they hit the horse when they want the horse to run fast? When you hit the horse on the side, the horse runs faster. Question is, who told the horse that I want you to run faster? Maybe I want you to stop. If I'm riding on you and I hit you, Maybe I want you to stop, so I hit you. Stop, stop. How do you know that by hitting you, I want you to run faster? Who told the horse that secret? The answer is, the horse doesn't understand anything what you want. He has his own thinking. Someone is annoying me and beating me up. What do I have to do? I have to run away from the shots. So the horse begins to run faster because someone is hitting him. He doesn't understand that that someone is sitting on him. Can I get hold of him? So you hit him another time, he runs even faster. You hit him another time, he runs even faster. That's what they do in the racing. They beat them with their shoes. Why? Because the horse is stupid. He doesn't understand, I cannot run away from the suffering. What am I running? He can run away from the suffering. The suffering is attached to you already. Same thing when a horse comes to drink in a lake. Whenever you see a horse drinking in a lake, you will always see that he takes his leg and hit the water and make waves. With one leg, he goes like this. Did you ever see that? He goes and hit the water with the other. Why, why can't I just bend down like other animals and drink? He has to hit the water. Why? Because he see a reflection of another horse coming to steal water from him. Competition. So what is he trying to tell him? Go away, you fool. It's my order. Why are you coming to steal my parnasa? That's what David Amelech said. You have a muna? Don't be a horse. One person came to the Chazonish. He said to him, Rabbi, I'm so shocked. I'm crushed. Why? After so many years, it took me to build my supermarket. This Rasha Merusha is opening a supermarket across the street. Can you believe it? From all the places in Nebrak, right across the street from mine. How do you look at someone like this? I need you to call him and tell him to stop and close the shop before it's too late. The Chazonish, he said to him, did you go and congratulate him? Did you tell him, Atzlacha, Mazal Tov, do you need help? Maybe if you need some suppliers that can give you good prices, I can give you my supplier's list. He said to the Chazanish, Rabbi, are you making fun at me? I'm coming to tell you my world is over. You tell me, go and help your enemy. Why, what is this? The Chazanish told him, only a fool thinks that his parnasa come from the grocery. There's nobody more stupid than that. You don't know Aleph Bet of Judaism. You don't know Aleph Bet of Hashem, nothing. Do you really think Hashem gives you the parnasa from your supermarket or from your real estate or from being a doctor or from being an Uber driver? You really think that's the source of your income? In Rosh Hashanah, Hashem writes income to every human being on earth. Paralyzed people, people that are in, uh, they can't walk, the dumbest people in the world, people that cannot even find jobs. How many people in America 
קורונה was the best is or year of their life. They can never make money. All of a sudden, Joe Biden decided, Trump, whatever, to start giving them $600 a week. They work like slaves. They didn't make $600 net a week. All of a sudden, they had the best year of his life. They're shopping, this, enjoying. Until now, people don't want to go back to work. They got used to lay down and get $600 a week. They can't find workers. That was in New York, signs. Sorry, we short of help. We don't, nobody wants to work. Restaurant, McDonald's, nobody wants to work. Why? They got $600 for, for free. They don't want to go back to work. I'm going to make now $600 for working like a slave while I was getting it laying down in bed, playing uh, Xbox. Forget about it. So in reality, the Parnassah comes in a strange way. Also Shiduchim. Many people, they kill themselves to find a Shiduch. Kill themselves. They mevatel Torah, they leave the Yeshiva every week, half a day here, half a day there. They run here, they run there. People are, that are not in Yeshiva, every single party they hear about, they register, they run, they mamash. They forget that the, the Shiduchim is 100% from Hashem. All you have to do is to cry to Hashem every day. That's it. It's the best Ishtadlut. I give you an example. I had one guy in my Shiva, in Monsi. He said to me, I don't know what to do anymore. I can't find Shiduch. You really think Hashem cares to find me Shiduch? I already am Yesh. I'm losing hope. I said to him, <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Who do you think is the person in the whole world that have the lowest chance to get married? The lowest. Out of seven and a half billion people in the world. Who do you think is, has the lowest chance to get married? Who? There is one person in Israel that everybody hates. They brainwash the public so bad against him that even people that identify with his ideology, they will never dare to say that they like him. Who is he? Igal Amir. The one who murdered the Prime Minister Rabin. Supposedly murdered. The one that murdered Rabin. I tell you what, you have a good point. There was one, uh, there was one uh, author of a, of a book, Bari Hamish. You heard about it? He sent me two of his books claiming that Igal uh, Amir never murdered Rabin. After a few months, Bari Hamish disappeared. He died. I don't know, maybe the Mossad wiped him out, I don't know what. But, so I started to believe, maybe after all, Yigal Amir did not kill him. But then I saw that Yigal Amir and his brother, they confessed to the crime. So yes, we did it. So maybe he steals the credit. I don't know. By the way, you should know, if a person admit that he owe money, you take his testimony. If I come and say, I owe Ruven $500, in front of the Bedin, the Bedin say, okay, pay it. But not for murder. But not for murder. If I come and say, I killed that guy. Here, here, here I am. I killed him. I know you've been looking for the murderer. It was me. Take me. How did you kill him? What do you care? Why are you asking questions? He got me angry. I killed him. You're not allowed to accept his testimony. You're free to go. Why? You need two witnesses. 
for the crime. We don't have witnesses. A person cannot convict himself in a murder. Why? Because it's death penalty. The Torah say Adam is not Neeman to, to, to make himself Rasha. Why would money yes? Why would money yes? But money is not the end of the world. Worse comes to worse, so beats Daka. Nobody will die. You come, you say you owe someone a thousand dollars. If you don't owe him, maybe it's your way to give him tzedakah, but you do it in such a way that he won't get embarrassed. It's not the end of the world. But if you come and say, I killed that person, they have to execute you. Why would a person come and say, I killed? I'll give you three reasons. One, maybe the mafia that killed that person told him you have to take it on you. If not, we'll kill all your children. You're going to say that you are the murderer and we're going to give your wife $5 million and every one of your kids will pay all their expenses while you're sitting 30 years in prison. You're not going to take the deal, we'll blow you up and your, and your wife and your children. What are you going to do? You're going to be able to tell the Italians, no, you have no choice. You have to come to the police and say, I'm the murderer. That's one reason. Second reason, the person is depressed and is mentally ill. He doesn't want to live. He doesn't have the, the guts to kill himself, so he'd rather let them execute me. I'm not allowed to commit suicide, it's against the Torah. Let me come and say I'm the murderer, and they execute me. Like this, I get rid of this miserable life. What's the third reason? A person has guilty feelings. His conscience kills him for other, other sins that he commits. So he say, you know what? I deserve to get the death penalty. But how will I get? They're not going to give it to me because there's no witnesses. So he come and confess to a crime he never committed. I will give you a proof for it. In Israel, there used to be a psychologist, Haredi. All Gdolei Israel used to ask questions. His name was Rav Shlomo Hoffman. You should buy his books. It's treasure. Treasure to the mind. He was so big that all the secular judges in the Israeli court admired him. And when a secular judge admires a Haredi, it doesn't happen every day. They admire an ultra-Orthodox rabbi. Go and check what's going on. He is the one who convinced the Israeli justice system not to convict people on crimes before you take them to the place of the crime and you ask them to show you how they committed the crime. The judge asked him, I don't understand, the guy confessed that he is the robber. Why do we have to waste now police time, we have to take him to the place? So Shlomo Hoffman said to the judge, I'll bet you any amount of money that when the police take him to the place of the robbery, he won't even know where the robbery took place in the building. The judge said, are you sure about that? He said, 100%. I spoke to him before the crime. I'm telling you that this person is innocent. The judge got curious. He asked the police, take him to the place. They arrived to the building. The police asked him, how did you break into the building? What side? Here, there, from behind. Completely gave wrong information. He had no idea. Don't, it's me, it's me, don't ask questions. Tell us where he got, from, from the window, from the door, from the roof, from the left, from the right. He had no idea. They came back to the court and he said to the judge, this person just tried to take the guilt, the guilt for someone else. It wasn't even him. And then they decided to change the rule, thanks to him, that from now on, everyone who confessed to a murder, you have to take him to the place, and he has to show you how he did it. Because sometimes they have no idea. It wasn't published on the news. 
tell us how you killed the person. And you'll be surprised. Sometimes you find out that these people are not the murderers. And they take the, the blame for someone else. But in this case, most likely it was him. So let's go back to the point. Except for the bullet in the chest. Which doesn't make could be there was another bullet after that. Someone added a bullet. Someone added oh. a bullet. There could be. Maybe he didn't get to kill him, and they killed him in a car or something like that. It doesn't happen in Israel that much. It's more like CIA style, you know. In Israel the same. Yeah, they do the same. Okay, okay. The maybe it is a, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to believe that actually Israelis will kill Israelis. All right. Anyway, so Igal Amir is the person that his chance to get married is the lowest chance. He's in a cage, he's isolated, and the media brainwashed against him for 20 years. And guess what? A woman from Australia. Religious woman, I want to marry Igal Amir. Ma, Igal Amir is in a cage. You'll never see him. You may see him, I don't know, an hour a year. Everybody hates him. Who wants to be a wife? Even if he's innocent, even if he's a tzaddik, even if you consider that a mitzvah what he did. But everyone will hate you. What kind of life are you going to have? No. I want to marry... Igal Amir, Larissa Tramlobrer, I don't know what's her name, Some, I can't pronounce her name. So she married Igal Amir, and guess what? They have a boy. In Israel, it's not like here. Here, they don't let husband and wife be together. They don't let. If it's a serious crime, no. Also, I think they were only one time together. I don't think they one were time only? only? One time only. One time only, and Igal Amir has a boy. So I said to this Bachur Yeshiva, if Igal Amir, that the whole world brainwashed against him, found the Shiduch when Hashem wanted him to have a wife and a kid, trust me, you still have hope. I got the point. So, that's a good example. Igal Amir ever dream he's going to get married the way he was? One thing came out, Igal Amir, when he went to jail, he was what we call in Israel Tatiloni light. You know what it means, Tatiloni? Tati, Chiloni, mixed. 50% Dati, 50% Chiloni. Now he became, I heard, serious Talmid Chacha. Finish all Shas, finish, finish all the Shulchan Aruch, all the Rambam, Poskim. He is alone, he doesn't have TV. He's not involved with any other prisoners. He's not into sport. So his entire 30 years in prison, he learned Torah all day. So he's not the Tiloni from Barilan anymore. Now he became a serious Talmud Chacham. If one day they let him get out of jail, we will have to go and kiss his hand. You give me bracha? Wait a minute. I don't know why you're laughing. But somebody much worse than Igal Amir converted to Judaism. Who was it? The biggest monster until Adolf Hitler came to the world. Who was it? Nebuchadnezzar. Sarat Abachim Shel Nebuchadnezzar killed 20 million people. One day come to the rabbis, rabbis, patati, aviti, pashati, I'm sorry. I should have not killed so many people. I would like to convert to Judaism. My converted him. Rachav. The biggest Hashem Yerachem, what? She was, Rachav. She became 
בעלת תשובה, join בית יעקב סטף, and married יהושע בן נון. The worst woman on war, in the world, with the reputation of the worst reputation you can think of, converted, became religious, and married the greatest guy in the world, יהושע בן נון. There's a lot of examples like this. So you see, the reason the Torah brings us all these stories to show the worst people that they think Hashem will never take me back. No matter how bad you are, Hashem can always take you back. Because Hashem is interested of people to commit tshuva, to repent, not to execute them. It's written in, a, in Sefer Yechezkel, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 7. Hashem say, I swear on my name, Chai Hashem, Whenever it's written, Chai Hashem, that means like someone swear on his life. And Hashem swear on his name. I swear on my name that I'm not interested to kill the dead. Ki lo achbots b'mot amet. Ki im b'shuvo midarko I want him to come back from his evil way, from his uh, wicked way, that he should live. So the question is, how can you kill the dead? Someone is dead now. Get up, get up, you okay? No pause, dead. Three hours, he's dead now. Can you kill him again? And he's dead already. What does it mean in a divine language? I'm not interested to kill the dead. I want him to repent, that he should live. For me, the Chachamim explain that someone that is disconnected from Hashem, doesn't keep Torah, doesn't keep Shabbat, doesn't learn Torah, doesn't put fulin, doesn't dress modest, if it's a woman, does not eat kosher, and break all the other crimes against Hashem, he's disconnected, his neshama is disconnected from Hashem. There are so many layers of klipot around the soul that block the divine light, that revive the soul. So the soul is dead. The body is alive, running, playing basketball, making money, smoking, uh, watching movies, everything as usual. But the soul is completely dead because the soul is in a complete darkness, black darkness. Avobadi himself gave a beautiful uh, parable for this, great mashal. He asked, do you know what's the difference between the male chicken and the female chicken? Tarnegol and Tarnegole. Tarnegol, the male, if you don't feed him, you don't throw some seeds on the floor, he walks like this one day, two day, three yeah, he falls and he dies. Not one beep. Say something, you fool, you're hungry. Nothing. Walks like this, falls and dies. The Tarnegole, few hours you don't give her food, all over the house. The Gemara call it Mahades. Tarnegol with his, <laughs> with his wings. Tick, 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 tick. The whole things in the house, feathers everywhere, the vase are down, everything is broken. Don't mess with me. That's the man and the woman. The man, okay, okay, okay. The woman, no. No credit card? That's it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> speaking about the credit card, I'll tell you a one-minute story that you'd never believe in your life that this story is true. I promise it's 100% true. 100% true. One time, I walk home from yeshiva at lunchtime. 
I see my wife is standing with the, standing with the telephone and a credit card in her hands. In America, usually it's a common thing every, everywhere. <laughs> the wife has with one hand the credit card and the other hand the phone, but not by me. So when I walked in, I got curious what my wife is about to buy. So I asked her, what are you buying? She said, we ran out, we ran out of checks. So I'm ordering new checks. Top. Where do you buy it from? She said, the last page in a, in a checkbook, they have their telephone number. So I'm ordering. I asked her, how many order? She told me, 360 check, $80. I said to her, this story was uh, like 10, 10 to 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I said to her, Ma, what is the check made out of gold? Piece of paper, why it's so expensive? Give me one minute, let me check on Google. I turn on the computer, I put in Google, printing checks. Thousands of pages came out. Everyone in America print checks. Just send us a void check, and we'll send you a checkbook. I say, you know what, I don't have time to waste on this. Let me choose now, Hashem, I choose one, whatever happened, happened. I clicked on one of them. They have an 800 number, so very good. On the phone, it's always easier. I check the gallery, I see 600 check for $30, very cheap, so very good, good enough. I call up the number. It says, if you would like to order check, press three. I press three. I wait a minute. Somebody came to the phone. Hi, can I help you? Yes, I'm on your website. I would like to buy, to buy A6. Flat plane checks, 600. What is it? $30. I asked him, is it include shipping or no? He said, no, shipping is extra. Now, you know, if you're an Israeli and they tell you shipping is extra, now they're gonna give it to you. <laughs> So I'm thinking to myself, let's see how much he's gonna say shipping for a box of checks. I say, yes, and how much the shipping? He said, depend to where? I say, to Monsi, New York. He say, oh, you live in Monsi? Where in Monsi? Why does he care where I live in Monsi? Monsi is one zip code. Should be the same shipping. That's when I started to suspect. I said, maybe I'm gonna give him my address, he's gonna come visit me in the middle of the night. <laughs> maybe it's a scam, you know? So I didn't wanna give him the exact address. So I told him, Highview, corner of Nelson. Now remember, I wanna remind you, United States have more than 400 million people. More than 400 million people. So I told him, Nelson, corner of Highview. So the guy said to me, oh! In that case, there's no shipping. <laughs> Why? Come tonight to Rav Schlesinger Shiur, <laughs> and I'm gonna bring you the checks. Next to me is a big shul, big rabbi Ashkenazi, Talmid Chacham, Rav Schlesinger, my neighbor. I said to him, what, you coming every night to Rav Schlesinger Shiur? He said, yes, eight o'clock, I'll bring your checks there. I said, you live in Monsi? He said, yes. Now you think the story is over. It isn't the beginning. <laughs> So I said to him, you live in Monsi? He said, yes. I said, where in Monsi? He said to me, Bates Drive. I said, ma, I used to live in Bates Drive before I moved through here to Nelson. What number Bates? Where does he live? In my old house. 
400 million people, I click the number in Google. No, did you ever hear a story like this in your life? What are the odds? Let's calculate. Do you know how many miracles happen here? First, that I walked in when she was on the phone. If I would walk in two minutes later, that's it. She would order the check and I wouldn't know about it. Second, that I clicked the number in Google from thousands of numbers. Third, that the person that lives in Muncie is the one who picked up the phone. That's a third miracle. And fourth, he lives where I used to live. Do you believe such thing? Do you know in, 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 in Torah, you have one doubt, it's not allowed if it's a sin from the Torah. But two makes it a majority. Sfek Sveka. Here is four. Four miracles, not two. So we'll move back. So Rabotai, everything in the end is from Hashem. We have only one mission here, to fix the middle. If you fix the middle, you don't have problems in your marriage. One guy called me from Israel. He said to me, Rabbi, I don't know what to do anymore. Give me advice. What? My wife is anti-religion. I'm about tshuva, <coughs> everything I do, she fights. I pour the kiddush cup, she knocks it down. <laughs> I try to do afdala, she shut the candle. Mamash is ever. Is ever. Oh, I forgot to finish the mashal. Rabovadia say, so the tarnegol and the tarnegolet. You guys are sleeping already. <laughs> So, Abu Badia said, the body is the female chicken, and the soul is the male chicken. When you don't feed your body, hunger, headache, dizziness, the body refuses to cooperate. Six hours you don't eat, headache, you're dizzy. In yeshiva, when there's a fast day, 2 p.m., some of the guys already go up to sleep. What happened? Tsar, no coffee, no food, no breakfast. Their mind is not functioning. Few hours and you can function. But the soul, you can go 80 years without feeding the soul. You don't feed the soul until the soul completely dies. And this is what Hashem says in the book of Echeskel. I'm not interested to kill the dead. He's dead already. Spiritually he's dead. I'm interested that he will repent and he should leave. And by the way, look in the entire Torah. Every time Hashem refers to us, you should listen to me and keep my mitzvot, there is usually an addition, leman tichiyu, that you should live. But I'm living already without mitzvot. Itzik from Shenkin with the piercing over here. Is not alive? All the Israelis full of tattoos, they're not alive? All the Mechalele Shabbat here in Chicago, they're not alive? They make millions, some of them. Everybody is alive. What do you mean that you should live? From here we see that what we call life and what Hashem calls life is completely different thing. Whenever the Torah speaks about life, it's the life of the soul. When we say life, we mean the life of the body. Life of the body, the dog also has. That's not a life. Actually, everyone here in the room is in the process of dying. What does it mean? From the minute you came out to the world, you begin to die. It's like a battery. You don't know how many years you have, 60, 80, 90. But from the minute you're born, one thing we have to agree, your time is ticking. Just like a battery of a phone, 89, 85, 82. 
The only problem is that some phone has a battery of eight hours and some phone has a battery of two hours. You have no way to know. It keeps going lower and lower until it dies. Once it dies, that's it. You're disconnected. You don't have a source of, of energy. The same thing with the soul. The neshama can be in such darkness. A person is always angry, always sad, has no desire to do anything. Even the money doesn't excite him anymore. I once asked the question, what's better to be, miserably rich or miserably poor? What would you prefer to be? Poor. So everybody answer right away, yeah, miserably rich. If I'm already miserable, I might as well have some money that I don't have to worry about the bills. No, but you don't have hope. Oh, So I say, no, it's better to be miserably poor. Why? Because when you already made a lot of millions and you're still miserable and depressed, you know your life will not go anywhere. That's it, you finish. You're never going to be happy. Nothing can make me happy anymore. But as long as you're poor, you're always dreaming, when I make my first million, I'll be happy, even though it's false. Completely false. Because when you have a million, you're going to want two. And when you have two, you want four. That's what the Gemara say. And they even ask Bill Gates in Israel. In an interview 10 years ago when he was in Israel, the woman asked him, Mr. Gates, you're the right person to ask. Does money bring happiness? If any one of you saw that interview, you won't believe how angry he got. Absolutely not. Not at all. It only brings convenience, but not happiness. I would leave my children only how much? 10 million. 10 million. Only 10 million to each one of my kids. Can't even buy a house in Yerushalayim. <laughs> Can't buy a house in Brooklyn. So I will only leave 10 million dollars to every one of my kids. And he has uh, over 100 billion. 10 million is like, uh, you know, like a quarter. It's like one of us would leave his child a quarter. In a week. Dear Moshe, I love you very much. Enjoy, enjoy the quarter very much. It's more or, less, more or less the same. I once told the story that a kid came to a suit store. 16 years old kid, sloppy hair. He comes inside, ripped jeans. You know, these hippies. He comes into a very expensive suit store. Starts from $10,000 and up each suit. He comes around, he checks suits, tuxedos. None of the salespeople pay attention to him. Ah, that's, this guy is wasting time. What is he doing here, this kid? So he wants someone to help him, but nobody even come to him. They're all busy with their phones, this, on the phone. Nobody pays attention to him. And he says, excuse me, anyone works here? Nobody pay attention to him. Don't waste my time. All of a sudden, a big gorilla walks in with a walkie-talkie. You know these bodyguards? Mr. Gates, is everything okay? All the salespeople. <laughs> Excuse me, what's your name, little kid? Bill Gates Jr. Bill Gates, the son of uh, Bill Gates. How can we help you? <laughs> How do you like your espresso? We're so sorry. What changed? You understood who you're dealing with. Until now, you didn't know who you're dealing with. Now you finally understood who you're dealing with. There is such a thing in Judaism, it's called irata romemut. There is irata onesh, 
a person should fear the punishments if he commit a crime. And there is something in a higher level that it's called irat haromemut. What does it mean, irat haromemut? When you begin to understand who is Hashem, you don't need to fear the punishments anymore. To fear the punishment, it's a low level. When you begin to see the brilliance of the Torah, how deep it is, how endless it is, how unbelievable the Torah is, you, go, you fall in love with Hashem to such a level and you begin to understand who is God, that you don't need any more any threats. If you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. You don't need this. You're already such an admirer of Hashem. It's called Irat Aromemut. There was a famous story with Rav Saadia Gaona a thousand years ago. And he went to a motel. There was no rooms. Nobody knew how the rabbis look in those days. There was no Google yet. Today, today you can see in Google how the rabbi looks. I have sometimes funny things. I mean, when I walk in the street in Israel, I can walk two steps. Two steps I can walk. Every person come, pictures, this. Everywhere I go, I walk to the store, I go into the cab, the driver is listening. Everywhere I go, cannot, people don't give you rest. On the plane, the pilot, the people on the plane. Why? Because everyone knows. They see on YouTube all the videos. By the Hasidim, many of them have kosher phones. They don't have Google, and they don't see image. They only hear me, but they don't know how I look. So there are two kinds of Hasidim. This is the modern one, already have iPhone, so they know. And there's most, most of them that don't have. Sometimes I go to Borough Park, to Daven. I don't even look like a rabbi, nothing. So I go over there, nobody look at me. Until one of the Hasidim that recognize me comes, oh, Rabbi, I love your les lessons. Wow, I'm a Mizrahi, how are you? You see all the Hasidim. They all get up. You? You? What a disappointment. You are Mizrahi. They expected a real Rebbe. They had to see this. So, but you have to see how they changed their behaving from that moment on. Till now they look at me, I'm sitting there, nobody would ever give me aliyah there. Ma, without a beer, you're gonna give me aliyah b'chlad? As soon as they find out I'm the guy they're listening to, right away, Rabbi, we want you to get this, we want you to sit here, come move over here. No, why? Once a person understands who he's dealing with, immediately changes his behavior. That's what Rav Saadia Gaon, what happened to him. He went to a motel, nobody knew who he is. They asked, they told him there's no rooms. Can I sleep on the floor here? It's freezing, uh, snowing outside. Yeah, you can sleep over here. In the morning, one of the people found out that the biggest rabbi in the world was sleeping all night on the floor. He started to scream. You know how it is, those days, a thousand years ago, rabbi had a lot of kavod. The rabbi slept on the floor while each one of us slept in a bed. How can something like this happen? The owner of the hotel came, what happened? Rav Saadia Gaon, the biggest chacham, is on the floor and we sleep in a bed. The owner of the hotel say, you Rav Saadia Gaon, I'm so sorry. Started to faint from crying. I'm so sorry, forgive me. And Rav Saadia Gaon told him, first of all, you don't have to apologize. You didn't know who I am and you did a chesed to me. I was able to sleep here, not in the snow. But you just taught me a big lesson for life. 
that before you knew who I am, you passed here so many times, you saw me sleeping on the floor, it was fine by you. As soon as you found out who I am, look at you, you're about to get a heart attack. And I, Saadia, did not get to know my Creator yet. Because now one time in my life, when I did something wrong, I was in your position, about to get a heart attack. If I really knew Hashem, if I would one time do something wrong, that's how I should behave, like you. About to get a heart attack and crying, falling on the floor. But we move on with our life. Conclusion. The guy calls me from Israel. Everything I do, she knocked down the candle, she knocked down the wine, she doesn't want to hear nothing. I say to him, I'm going to give you the solution for your situation, but you have to be persistent. You say what? I say, from now on, I want you to be the nicest guy, the nicest husband to your wife. Two months. Treat her like the queen of the world. He asked me, what's the connection between what I told you to what you're telling me? I am telling you, I have a wicked wife. Erev Rab. She hates Hashem. She hates religion. And now she hates me because I'm Val Tshuva. You're telling me to be nice to her? What is the connection? Tell me how to prove to her the Torah is from Hashem. How to convince her to listen to lectures. I say, she doesn't need any of that. Just treat her like a queen. Give her non-stop compliments. Tell her how much you appreciate what she does for you, how much you are nothing without her, and what a smart woman she is, and how beautiful she is, and how amazing she is, and she's the best cook all day, like this, for two months, buy her gifts. And he said, but can you explain to me what's the connection? I said to him, yeah, I will. A man, you have to talk to his brain. Let me prove to you the Gemara, this, it's from Hashem. Speak to him from the brain. The women, Hashem made them in such a way that the dominant part by them is the feelings, the emotions. As soon as a woman sits in Israel in front of a Turkish film, <laughs> one minute into the film, all the women in Israel cry. I walk by, I see my mother. Oh, what happened, mom? Look at this Mustafa. <laughs> Fatma doesn't want to marry him. <laughs> she cried like this. I said, why are you crying? Such a nice couple. It's all because of this witch. She ruins that marriage. Believe me, it breaks my heart. I said, mom, it's only illusion. It's a film. That's how women are. She sees something breaking the heart. Oh, she's crying. It opens up the, the heart. So I say to him, if you make your wife happy, you will see she become more religious than you. She's now rebelling against you because you're not nice to her. Be 100% perfect, you will see that she becomes more religious than you. So, okay, I, did, I disagree, but if you say it, I'll give it a chance. I said, but you must be consistent every day. Whatever she does, she curses you, she screams, she doesn't cook. Now one complaint. Two months. Just give me two months. He say, fine. Two weeks. Two weeks later, he calls. Can't believe it, you genius. You're not going to recognize it. She prepared for me the Abdallah now. She prepared for me the Kiddush. She even learned to make Hamim, Chulen. You don't understand. I do Kiddush. She put something on her head. 
It's all different now. So I don't 100%. Women operate from emotions. One of the proofs for that, sometimes you have a couple that were married for 30 years, the woman was a rabbitson. A rabbitson. Like, she's more religious than him. As soon as they break in an ugly marriage, she dropped the religion and ran away with the goy. How can it be? The answer is because she's so hurt in her heart. She's, it's like a knife to the heart. But she doesn't think. The brain doesn't think. It's all about emotions. I'm going to show him. He abused me. He depressed me. In this, she runs away with some goy. It happens all the time. Sometimes they take the kids with them. They take them out of Talmud Torah. Why? She, she doesn't believe in Hashem? Of course she does. She doesn't know it's better for the kids to have yeshiva? Of course she, know, she knows. She doesn't know that what she's doing now is a horrible crime? Of course she knows. But when the heart is so broken, the brain doesn't function. This is the way women are. It's not a bad thing. The same feeling in heart sometimes is a huge advantage in life. But in this particular case, all you have to do is make sure she's happy. By the way, the Gemara says, if your wife is happy, you're going to be rich. Make sure they're happy. You make them happy, Hashem is going to give you extra money. And I will finish with one thing for you to understand. What's the connection between making your wife happy to becoming rich? What's the connection? So when Adam and Eve committed the sin... Hashem cursed both of them. Besides the snake, each one of them got a curse. The man got a curse that he would have to work very hard to make a living. Not necessarily physically. Sometimes you have 100 buildings, but the headache that you have, you don't have to wake up at 6 and go to work and put bags on your back. You only have to give orders. But the headache mentally destroys you. You are 50, look 80. Why? From all the stress. This one didn't show up. The government wants this. There's a permit problem. There's so many problems that these rich people have. Chazal say, So, a man, what's the cares? You want to make a living? Suffer. The women, they also got a cares. It's a combination of few curses. What is it? First, you will suffer very much giving birth. Second, the pregnancy. Carry a baby nine months in the heat and this. It was not supposed to be like this. Women could give birth right away without all this headache. That's a curse. It's nine months you suffer. Plus the pain of the delivery. And now 20 years to raise that kid. You know how much suffering involved here? All of that for doing one thing against Hashem. All women in the world are a part of this problem. So when Hashem punished the, wife, the Eve, what did he tell her? Ve'eli shech tshukatech goim sholvach. You will desire your man and he will control you. Meaning the man is the boss. The final word in the family will be the man's word. Top. Now, now, the <laughs> if you're a lefty feminist, yeah. everything is the opposite by then. But when a man sees that his wife does not perform, he's supposed to raise the children, get them dressed, cook for them, you know, cook for him, clean the house, do all the things that a woman's supposed to do. 
she's not doing 100% the job, whatever she's supposed to. And he does not criticize her. He's not obnoxious, he's not angry, he's not making comments. Okay, no problem, I understand you. You probably had a hard day. I don't mind, it's a big mess, you care? No, I don't care. There's a lot of dirt on the walls, right? Don't worry, it's no problem. The walls was not gonna take us to heaven. As long as you're okay, you're rested, you're happy, I'm happy. Usually how the man is, what? How many times I have to tell you I don't like to see this when I get home? I can't take this anymore. I'm canceling the credit card. We're not going to your parents for Pesach. That's a, a knife to the heart. But if he comes, no, no problem. It's okay, you need help. I'm trying to get you someone to help you. No, I wasn't in the mood. Never again angry. What happened? He removed the cares from her. Because her curse is that your man will rule you. But he give up. He doesn't rule her. He's not a ruler. He lets her do whatever she likes. He's okay. You're okay? I'm okay. I don't want you to be upset. A boss gives you orders. You don't do it. He punishes you. But he doesn't do this. He still gives her money. He's still nice to her. He still doesn't make comments. When Hashem sees that you remove your ruling from her, he does the same thing with you, measure for measure. What is your curse? You have to work very hard to make money. But that's a curse. But since you remove the curse from her and you're not ruling her, I will remove the curse from you and not make you a slave to bring money home. So from now on, money is gonna come from all direction in an easy way, express. Because everything Hashem does, is midah keneged midah. Measure for measure. 100%. So Rabotai, remember, in marriage, people get married, but they never learn what does it mean to be a husband. They never read any book. Women got married, they never learn what it means to be a wife. There's a lot of good books about it. Baruch Hashem, today we have so many books. Rab Zamir Cohen, a few good books about Zugiyot. Rab Abner Kabash. Some good rabbis that has good books about it. Simcha Cohen, the Bait Yehudi. There's probably hundreds of others that I don't even know about. It's important to learn before you get into a partnership what's going to be your role in a partnership. If you don't know what's your role, how are you going to succeed? So first, you have to learn. Second, you have to understand that in marriage, you, when you enter a marriage, you don't think, what's in it for me? What would she give me? What will I gain from her? It's the other way around. What can I give? How should I make her happy? How can I contribute to the partnership? This is the right thinking. She has to think, how do I make my husband the happiest man in the world? How do I please him? How do I cook for him? How do I clean for him? How do I shop for him? How do I give him a peace of mind that he can learn and, and you know, become a chacham? And he has to think, how do I take as many burdens off her shoulder? How can I help? How can I participate? How can I be generous with her? If you come to the marriage with this kind of approach, you will not have one problem in a marriage, never. There is a couple, if I'm not mistaken, they even live in Monsi. Someone told me he went to their house and he saw a frame on the wall. The 10 commandments of the Lefkowitz family. A, 
in case of a fight, we never ever go to sleep before we fix the problem. Meaning, sometimes a couple has an argument, few days they don't talk to each other. Few days. He comes home, she doesn't say hi, he doesn't say hi, she's hiding, he's hiding. You know, tension. Why? Ego. What's all this tension? Ego. But if they rule over there, we cannot go to sleep before we make peace. So the maximum fight will be for one day. If they fought in the morning, by the night they have to resolve the issue. The longer you wait, the worse it gets. Because then comes all the advisors. You know the advisor? Oh, there's so many advisors. The woman already got 50 other women to give her advice. Call this lawyer, you have rights, don't let him do this to you, you know. Or her parents, everybody adds to the story. A little mosquito became an elephant. A tiny problem became already a divorce from nothing. Everybody adds salt and pepper and some more fire to the story. So rule, another rule in, in marriage, you never ever tell your parents what's wrong in the house. Never. You don't tell your parents that your husband is cheap, he doesn't give you enough money, he doesn't buy you the car he promised. You don't tell him anything bad about him. Why? The more bad you tell him, the more they hate him. The more they hate him, the more they would want you away from him. They're not gonna help you, they're gonna ruin the marriage. Same thing the man. If he starts talking Lashon Arab and his wife to his parents, he breaks the rules of the Torah. And the parents won't like his wife and they will do everything they can to get rid of her. They're gonna put pressure on him. What do you need her for? Just give her a get, let's find you a different girl. A lot of houses broke because of that. You should know when a man gets married, even if he's Sephardi, even if he's Sephardi, needless to say Ashkenazi, you know, so if a man gets married, he has to remember that the Torah says, et avi you become one body, you and your wife, one. Meaning, what comes first, your hand or your father? You, it's a part of you. You come before your parents. With all the respect to your parents, once you get married, listen to this. You went on a shiduch with a girl, you know her two months. You decided to get married. You got married, now you put the ring on her finger, she comes before your father. How can it be? Your father gave you 20 years, cars, money, he bought you a house, he paid for all your yeshivot, everything you have came from your father. 20 years he gave his life for you, you already know her one month, what did Hashem say? They are secondary. Some Sfaradi men, they have Muslim mentality. Their parents came from Uzbekistan, Bukhara, Persia, Syria. In Arab countries, they raised the people that a woman is nothing but a maid. That's their mentality by the Arabs. A woman, don't talk. Be quiet, do what we tell you, and finish. There's no women rights. Sometimes the primitive parents, the old, 70, 80, 90, they still have this mentality. I see a lot of young boys come to me for Shlom Bait issue. They want to get divorced because when they come home, sometimes there's no hot meal waiting. Can you believe this? <laughs> wow! My father never in his life 
came home and my mother didn't prepare a hot meal. I said, for that you want to get the boss. Then I find out that his lovely wife finished to work at 5 p.m. She goes to work. His mother was there all day in the house. So I say, your wife go to work until 5. By the time she comes home, it's maybe 6. You come home at 7. So you're angry why she didn't run to the supermarket, did shopping, came home, clean all the food, cook everything for you, that when the Mr. Khawaja Effendi, the Muslim caliphs, arrived to the house, why there is no hot meal? I told him, I come home after a lecture, 2 a.m. I'm starving sometimes. You know what I eat? Take pretzels and hummus box. And that's what I eat. Drink a little water and I'm going to sleep. What do you think? Ah, come on. No, I don't believe this. I said, yeah, you want to call my wife and ask? <laughs> she asked me, should I give you something? You're going to eat it? I said, no. Mm-hmm. Whatever I have, sandwich. I like sandwich. That's it. I have wraps. Put some cheese in it. Wrap. Some frog. That's it. I'm happy. No big deal. Go and convince this guy that a hot meal is not a reason to get divorced. <laughs> this is a, a broken education. That's the mentality, she's, she's my maid, she's not my wife, she's not my partner. So for that, he's willing to break the house, you understand? There are so much to talk about peace in a family in Zugiut, but the rule, the rule is everything will be smooth in one condition, that you fix your midot first. If you stay angry, if you stay selfish, if you stay jealous, if you stay, uh, you know, with all the negative traits that the Torah warned from, you will never get along. You always have problems. You always have arguments. Everything you don't like, you make a big deal out of it. You don't let go. You don't forgive easy. And the Gemara say, Be easy going. Don't be uptight. Don't be too pedantic. Don't be too much of a yeke. Don't be crazy that the order in the house is not perfect. One person came to Chacham Ben Zion Abba Shaul, the biggest Faradi Rav in the world, Rav Ben Zion Abba Shaul, and the biggest Kabbalist in the world, and one of the biggest Tzadikim in the world. He came to his house, and he came to complain that his wife is horrible, and he wants him to set a get for him. And when he came to the house, he saw Rav Ben Zion Abba Shaul's pants was folded all the way to his knees, and he was doing sponja, cleaning the house with a mat, the biggest chacham in the world, cleaning the floor like this. One time he came, he saw he sits in the kitchen and peeled the okra for his wife cooking. He's, she, they talk in the kitchen, the biggest chacham in the world, peeling okra. After that, <laughs> he said to him, tomorrow we're going to take care of the cat. When the time came, the guy ran away. He came to look for him. Where are you? Where? What happened? Why you ran away? So I'm so ashamed. I now saw that you're doing things that I would never dare to do. That means I have a lot more to learn. One picture was enough for him to see I shouldn't get divorced. One Ashkenazi rabbi in Yerushalayim one person asked him to get divorced. He said, come tomorrow at 2 p.m. I will arrange to get for you. 
He said to his wife, tomorrow at 1 p.m., I want you to mess up this house in such a level that would look worse than a zoo. Can you do it? Toys on the floor, cheese on the floor, milk spill, chocolate milk on the, on the walls, every chairs on the floor. Wow, what happened? This guy complained that his wife doesn't fix the house. I want him to come tomorrow and see that our house is much worse than that. When the guy came in, <laughs> he said, are you ready to sit and discuss the gate? No, Rabbi, I only came to tell you that I thought about it overnight. <laughs> and I actually think that my wife is the best wife. I'll give her another chance. The idea, Rabotai, is if a person fixes himself, problem in his zugiyut is gone. If a person continues to be selfish and arrogant, Every day that he doesn't have a fight is a miracle. So if one hundred percent in our end, we can save your entire future. And it's not that difficult like you think. Just have to make some adjustment, no comments, let go, close your eyes when it's necessary. And the last thing before I forget, you must have a rabbi. Meaning you and your wife has to have a rabbi, like a mentor. Why do you need a rabbi? Because after all, people have ego. Let's say now Pesach is coming, she wants to go to her parents, and you want to go to your parents. It's very normal. There's arguments like this. Oh, I don't want to go to your parents again. The room is terrible there. Your brothers are not religious. There's always a problem. No, I don't want to go to, go to your parents. They drive me crazy. I don't have privacy. There's always something. So now if they don't agree, he doesn't want to go there, and she doesn't want to go there. They need a third party. Let's go to the rabbi. I say what I say. You say what you say. You can be on the phone. Rabbi, I want to go here, and she want to go there. The rabbi listens to everything. You should go to there for Pesach. That's it. The argument is over. Like a judge. You go to court, two people fight. The judge says ruling. End of story. That's it. Why, if you don't have a mentor, a third party, the argument will never end. And you continue to remind her it's all because of you. But if the rabbi say that, there's no more ego. We do what the rabbi say. Thank you very much. Just a second, guys, before you...